Welcome to Aesthetics Mastery, the podcast to help you thrive and raise the bar in your aesthetics practice. I'm Dr. Adam Chong. And I'm Dr. Tim Pierce. Dr. Tim Pierce is a GP, founder and director of Skin Viva at Skin Viva Training. And Dr. Adam Chong is also a GP and a trainer and aesthetic clinician at Skin Viva. So, Tim, the last two weeks we've had some um, slightly uh, difficult uh, interruptions into the podcast, so let's hope this, this one goes a little bit smoother. Um, you've been at a conference, I believe. Yes, I just did the first, the inaugural Welsh Aesthetic Conference, um, and it was a really good experience. Um, met a couple of doctors, uh, well, actually Lee's a dentist, but two clinicians who I've known about for years and never met in person, which was really good to meet them both um, and have really mm-hmm. interesting chats with both of them. Um, so Lee Walker, who trains uh, in Liverpool, yeah, and then there's... Uh, Patrick Treacy, who is a really famous clinician, been around for a long time, since the beginning of aesthetics, really. And, uh, yeah, met both of them, had really interesting talks from both of them. And uh, and I did two talks myself, one on the JCCP mm-hmm. and one on the, the the art of the consultation. Oh, how did that go? It was good. That's your um, specialty, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's, that's certainly the thing I find most interesting and most variable um, uh, on t- I think because of the way that you don't get to do any of the cool injections until you can do that. When you do get to do them, but you don't get to do them as often as, until mm-hmm. you're very good at doing the consultation. So, yeah, I'm quite passionate about that. Um, also because I think it's really good for patients. So I, that was the first time I've actually given a, a talk specifically on that. Um, and, so yeah, certainly got some, some good feedback for it. My own reflection on it is that it's it, it, the value of it increases as your range of treatments increase. And if you're not doing a, high, a, a lot of treatments in terms of range then mm-hmm. it isn't um, it's not necessarily the thing that you feel is holding you back i still think it's useful to know for everyone but mm-hmm. it's um yeah that was my thoughts on it but it went well good okay well i thought we'd go back to a nice clinical topic today um and recently teaching a foundation course we were um, doing some upper upper lip lines and i thought it'd be really great to go and delve a little bit deeper into aging in the perioral area why it's important to understand this so um, let's talk about that. I think it's a really interesting topic. I think perioral lines are actually quite difficult. Um, as far as treatments go, they're very common, so we, we teach them fairly early on, but they're, they're also an area that people struggle with. And part of that is because it's much more complex than just a crease, and that's exactly why I think it's important to understand aging around the perioral, perioral area. One thing I've learned from experience as well is that they're often called smoker's lines, but we really shouldn't refer to them as that because... I'd say probably at least 50% of people I see and treat with these are not smokers and I've seen the way they look when you ask them if how long have you smoked for yeah I've not asked that personally but I've seen a few delegates ask and they look offended yeah so let's not refer to them as that I've actually even had people book in specifically because that's what they are afraid people will think yeah that, that I've smoked or also interestingly smokers who just feel guilty about it it's like almost um, it's a signal that I've smoked and I and now everyone can tell that I've kind of harmed myself without and and they kind of want to hide that again so mm. the smoking thing is very tied in with it but absolutely right it's not something that just smokers get I guess we can come on to that a bit later then as to why uh, some people do develop these lines um, and smokers also do and that will probably tie into some of the causes but what what's a good place to start then if, if we're thinking about uh, a global approach to the, the perioral area well we could we could break it down into into the different tissues involved because all mm-hmm. of the tissues are involved in aging and each one of them plays a really important role 
um, in, to different amounts at different stages of the process, but they're, they're all happening all the time. And, and by understanding it, you'll be able to explain to your patients much better why you're recommending a specific treatment plan. Um, and you also understand how to tackle it better. You'll think a bit more broadly um, if you think about all the different angles that aging affects the, the mouth, right from the surface of the skin all the way down to the bone. Mm, okay, that's interesting because I think there is the temptation just to see a line and treat it and keep, you know, as simple as that, but it, there's way more to it than that. Yeah. Let's go through those different different levels then. So what are the, what are the different components of, of the anatomy in this area? So starting at the top, which is where mostly you're going to spot the difference, would be the skin. And skin physiology will, will change um, consistently. It kind of will deteriorate from, um, you know, it, I suppose in, in one way it kind of deteriorates almost as soon as it starts starts being formed. But really it's around 20 mm-hmm. that you start to see, a, a, um, maybe in women a little bit later actually, mm-hmm. but you start to see a deterioration in skin in the rate of skin turnover, mm-hmm. which is affected by things like smoking and UV light and diet. Mm-hmm. But if you're the healthier skin um, turns over more quickly generally. And if you actually think about all the treatments that we use to treat the skin other than injectables, they are all geared towards increasing skin turnover, either through peeling the surface or using a laser or um, putting retinol on it. All of them mm-hmm. are essentially boosting those cells through one way or the other to make them more active, which is what young skin does. So the first thing that actually happens with skin is the rate of um, skin activity declines. And what that does is it decreases the amount of extracellular material mm-hmm. and the quality of that material. So you produce at a slower rate the kind of gamma amyloglycans and hyaluronic acids and, and collagen that bathe, that surround the cells and give skin its structure. Um, that all becomes more slowly produced. So skin actually loses volume partly because of there's less of those materials in, in, the, um, in the skin. Um, but also then what is there becomes damaged as well. And that's the thing with the, the thing that always stuck in my mind was sun damage and skin quality is the mm-hmm. elastin collagen mix and mm-hmm. how UV light literally passes straight through the skin and it shatters the, it, the relationship between collagen and elastin. So you, you, you shatter the elastin quite quickly and okay. you lose elasticity almost instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually saw this once happen with a, with a patient who I knew very well and she went off on, on a two week cruise and basically barbecued us <laughs> every single day as much sun as possible and she came back a completely different color uh-huh. yeah, obviously intentionally but the, sh- the shock for me is that her eyes looked drawn and my first thought uh-huh. was I hope I thought it was the side effect of Botox she came back for a follow-up uh-huh. and and she had the white of her eyes were showing underneath and it just shocked me and I immediately thought because you know it was right early early on when I first started so mm. you were a bit anxious about causing problems and things mm. like that and my first thought was this is a Botox side effect then I remembered I'd only treated her glabella, so it wasn't even <laughs> part of that. And I thought, well, how could this be? Because I even had a picture. I remember looking back at this picture and thinking, what, like, why is she suddenly? And it was just an incredible amount of sun damage and decreased elasticity wow. that instantly, within two weeks, it actually caused the skin to be less, uh, basically the integrity of the skin to decrease. Wow. So that kind of shocked me. So in, in two weeks, it, and that's irreversible? Well, I don't, I don't know if it's irre- completely irreversible. But it, it's instant, but I think it, you probably do produce you know, your cells will produce more of those materials again. It probably takes a long time to recover. Mm. And the cells, you know, the DNA, obviously, the damage to that is, is, not, mm. is not reversible. I think this is even more pertinent because more and more people are using sunbeds from a younger age. Some clients I've seen are hammering them several times a week, and they've been doing that for years. And you can see, like you say, early 20s already showing some signs of Absolutely. 
of, of loss of elasticity in the skin. Um, so just um, on, sticking with the same topic, what, what are the signs then? I mean, I was shocked to hear you say that it's you know from the early 20s that, that it starts happening in women. So it's a bit earlier than in women than men. Uh, no, I, th- I think it's it's just aging in so, general. Okay. I, I, I think I'm getting. I, I sometimes see the 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 kind of in terms of fertility. Mm-hmm. You're 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 kind of your aging is you're not you haven't peaked at twenty. You know mm-hmm. you're um, you there's more time for that. So it might be up to thirty. But in terms of aging, it's aging is obviously from the point of existence that you do every time a cell multiplies. It probably little mistakes happen, and there's kind of that kind of aging. But in terms of visible deterioration, it's yeah. twenty at the very earliest, mm-hmm. and you know. Realistically, from a social perspective, no one looks at a 25-year-old and thinks, "Oh, she's getting on a bit." You know, mm. yeah. it's, <laughs> it's it must just, be so there's a technical change away from the peak, yeah. which is, I think, probably 18 for a female. Um, Although, interestingly, I think the actual fertility peak in a female is early 20s. I'm sure it is, and men is mid 20s. Right, I didn't which know is that. Uh, slightly yeah. worrying, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, so maybe there's something biological there that mm-hmm. the body says, right, that's my peak. I'm going to start producing less collagen yeah. and elastin. I don't know what the what the exact definition. I, I remember hearing a diabetologist once saying that sensitivity to to insulin was one of the, the most accurate guides to aging. Okay, um, but I have no idea when that when the peak of your sensitivity yeah. to insulin is. But it's it'll be that it's that kind of. We're past definition. it, Tim. That's yeah, for sure. We're definitely probably. <laughs> um, okay, so. Uh, we, we've talked about skin then, and um, so this reduced rate of turnover as being one of the one of the factors. Where would you move on to next? So, so with that decreased rate of turnover, there's less there's less volume as well because mm-hmm. you've, le- there should be less of these extracellular um, proteins and sugars. Um, and that probably the next practical thing that I think you notice is fat now it may not be the next thing because all these things are actually happening simultaneously but it, but that is the next thing underneath the skin uh, worth thinking about is fat and fat fat I think in practical terms is one of the major causes of aging certainly that we can treat mm-hmm. in terms of what it looks like because it has this knock-on effect of liberating muscle contractility um, and then when you liberate the, the degree to which a muscle can contract they actually can shift more into a um, uh, into a position where they have a resting tone that increases and that is associated particularly around the oral area with in, with with basically a harsh look to your face so your mouth looks smaller and um, one of the, the subtle signs of anger is a pursed mouth you know you're kind of suppressing something mm-hmm. um, and com- and that happens to people just because they lose volume so loss of the skin elasticity uh, skin extracellular proteins and then including fat with that you're actually more likely to enhance little lines you've got already while your mouth actually gets a bit smaller and your your emotional tone looks more negative um, and those okay. are the, like we always try and break it into the biological the psychological um, uh, and the aesthetic so mm-hmm. the aesthetic is you're less beautiful because your mm-hmm. mouth is smaller and you're then conveying this negative emotion some people associate with it and if that becomes part of your psychology as in you become aware of it and it's on your mind that's our indication to treat. Mm. That's often, I think, why people do come in for this treatment, is that they've noticed something looks less positive about that part of the face. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just admit I got a little bit distracted then by some people around, around the room. Um, when you were saying about fat and resting tone, did you say that as fat around the mouth reduces, you get an increased resting tone of the yeah, muscle? Yeah, so the, the way I understand it, it's a little bit like Starling's effect in the heart, which if mm-hmm. you remember, there's like a... 
there's a point of stretching the cardiac muscle where you stretch it too far and it gets weak, but also there's a point where it's at just the right amount of stretch where it's got maximum contractility. Uh-huh. And as you lose volume, you basically allow the muscle to move into its position of maximum contractility. Uh-huh. It's, the, okay. it's the overlap of the myofibrils is right in the middle, basically. So that means a small amount of, of, of nerve activity creates mm-hmm. a bigger amount of contractility. And that, that means your resting tone is more hypotonic in certain areas. It can be hypotonic in other areas too. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the mouth, it tends to be hypotonic. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I think some people <coughs> must have a, a more hypotonic muscle in general. Like I guess this links then to, to smokers versus non-smokers. But why do um, a lot of non-smokers get these lines? Well, it, I'm assuming that it's an increased resting tone for that particular person. Um, compared to the average person they're just using that orbicularis oris muscle yes um, and I think some of, oh. some of that is habit mm-hmm. and some of it is the, the shape of the mouth because I've certainly noticed some people have a kind of a d- dental anatomy that that in that demands that they use that muscle mm-hmm. more often so they, they have you can tell that if they want to close their mouth they have to put emotional more. tone more more um, uh, muscular tone mm-hmm. into doing that whereas other people it's in the natural position the relaxed yeah. position is closed so that's definitely a factor. I've seen people who, who are consciously more actively using that muscle during mm. inact- during times of the day where you wouldn't normally if you yeah. didn't have that shaped mouth. So the shape of the mouth is important. Yeah. Apparently, it's much more common and very. It's much rarer to see upper lip lines in men. You do get them eventually, but mm-hmm. they're much later on. Partly okay. due maybe to skin thickness, but also possibly due to anatomical differences. Okay. Um, fine. So that's um, skin and fat. What are the other factors in the area then? Um, well, muscle is, is actually the next one on our list, but that okay. we've kind of talked about is the hypertonic element, yeah. um, which plays a role. Um, the other aspect which is probably worth talking about is the, in terms of negative tone is not just orbicularis aurus, but the, the, the depressed angularis aurus and the mentalis muscle, because the decrease in fat around those muscles and the increased activity also causes that negative expression because mentalis comes up and the DAO then pulls down and you get basically that classic cartoon yeah. um, sad face. And that's due um, to increased resting tone as well. Yeah. From so there's lots of resistance plus, plus that. Have you seen many people come in who perhaps are like wind players? Uh, you know, flautists. They called. We did famously have Flute one people. on the flautists. On the <laughs> <laughs> I think they're called. And and you know, uh, brass 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 players because they must be making that shape a lot more than the average. Yes, that's true. And, and um, Doctor Felicity, who's on maternity leave at the moment, uh-huh. is. I uh, can't remember which instrument she plays, but we had this interesting discussion which just blew my mind about how deep you can get into these these topics, which uh-huh. was someone was asking about this and the fact that they play, and, and and actually each instrument has a slightly different way in which you hold your mouth. Yeah. And we got into the detail of like, maybe if you play a, a French horn, then you'll be all right, but if you play a clarinet, you should take yeah. a, like a two-week break and like just kind of <laughs> crazy yeah. detail. But um, but yeah, it, I think yeah, any repetitive movement could could make a difference. Yeah, I'm going to stop whistling in the shower now. <laughs> um, okay, so that's muscle covered. Uh, where where what are the factors in the area? Um, so then you've got um, it's the hard materials. Well, we could talk about blood because that's part of that whole structure. Which okay. um, apparently the blood flow to the area also decreases, mm-hmm. um, which uh, as we were actually just discussing before you came on is mm-hmm. it's also associated with hair loss around yeah. the face. So if you're a man and you lose your beard is not as thick, that's a signal that that blood flow is also less. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also going to delay, that, that'll be affecting the metabolism of all those cells. So it's, it's a small component um, in terms of what you see. You don't actually see that effect, but it's part of the physiology basically slowing down. Yeah, okay. 
Um, and then you've got the hard, um, and this is quite a big one that I think people often miss, which is the interaction between the teeth and the bone and the soft tissue on top is really worth thinking about. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing, the area I see it most is when the top lip drops over the teeth, people often want to have that lip rotated upwards and outwards because they see the pink in the middle and then at the side where it's dropped off there's no pink mm -hmm. because it's kind of curled around the lateral incisors yeah. um, and that's very hard to solve with filler because there's no support on the other side and some people have a lip that entirely hangs below that so it's almost like the mid part of their face is slightly settled and it, the pink then extends all the way along below their incisors and trying to rotate that kind of lip up is the devil's own job it's really hard i think people with a prolonged uh, elongated philtrum uh, that is that sort of the, the type of patient that gets that as well where the, the pink is well below the, the teeth yes and it's all like you say it's very difficult to, to rotate that isn't it yeah um so obviously that'll be linked to loss of elasticity um but in terms of the bones i mean i probably understand it quite Sim, you know very uh, simplistic um that that we get shrinkage of bone in the area well all parts of the body but i'm assuming this part as well the lower maxilla um the, that shrinks so you, you're losing support in the area less support underneath yeah to keep the lip everted it's, it's actually quite a, i saw actually i think it was at the conference I just went to uh, Lee Walker presented a slide with the loss of bone mm -hmm. um, and it's quite dramatic and it looks I mean I didn't see the exact measurement but maybe 0.7 of a centimeter re reduction in the in the projection mm -hmm. of the maxilla wow. which is huge I mean mm -hmm. it, that just means you've got no support at all and what was an outward con uh, a convexity becomes a concavity almost okay um, if you combine that with lost teeth which is also a huge impact and actually the teeth and bone are very well connected in terms of the thickness of your bone if you lose teeth mm -hmm. um, the bone atrophies because it has no force put through it and you it just one of the reasons you have quite a lot of bone in that area is because you're repetitively putting force through it so lost oh, teeth right. equal lost bone okay um, and it's much bigger than people i think you often think oh the missing tooth is the problem but actually it's the missing tooth and the bone together that make a, a huge loss of volume mm -hmm. that you can't easily correct for with a little bit of dermal filler yeah uh, at least in many cases and it's worth it's worth asking your patients that would it be fair to say that for severe cases then it might be worth asking them to see a, a dentist from an aesthetic point of view as well? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we haven't actually got a dentist with us today. We have um, a number of dentists who, who could contribute to that. Yeah. Um, would be, That'd be really interesting, wouldn't it? But I'm sure that would be, there are probably many clever things that could be done, maybe not even with kind of, kind of invasive things. Maybe mm -hmm. it's just the shape of your dentures. I'm sure they will take that into account and create an aesthetic result yeah. far more sustainably than you could do with injectables. Mm -hmm. Right, okay, so um, we've, we've sort of gauged the, the, the reasons then. So we've, um, we've talked about the, the skin, um, muscle, fat, teeth, uh, blood supply, um, and we've just, just covered bone there. So these are all reasons why uh, you would get changes in that area. Um, and then psychologically, people are seeing loss of uh, definition of the lips. They're seeing, like you said, a downturned mouth, like a negative aura in that area. And then obviously upper lip lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And that's so helpful for your patients to know. I think the best, the best thing about having all this knowledge is mm. that when you explain it to patients, they, they understand it much better. They feel much yeah. more clear about what the right thing to do Often it's about justifying, you know, they'll often come in thinking, I shouldn't really be worrying about my lips, but every time I look in the mirror, for some reason I feel mm -hmm. bad. Well, you can explain exactly why that's happening. There's an anatomical reason why you look sad in terms of aging, and it's not to do with the fact that you are sad. 
yeah. I often find patients love hearing that. It's kind of liberating. It's like, oh, well, that's what it is. And you can fix it. So mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Um, so that it's all of this you should try and build into your consultation as much as possible. Reassuring that it's part of the normal aging process, possibly rather than a lifestyle factor that they may be blaming themselves for. Yeah. Although that may be the case for some people. But yeah, I always feel sad about regret. I always think it's... Uh, we're going off off slightly, <laughs> but, the, but I always try and stop people regretting the mm. choice. I say, you're not smoking anymore. You've learned your lesson. Don't don't punish yourself with that. Um, yeah. By all means, spread the good advice to other people who are younger mm-hmm. than you. Um, but let's not let's not punish yourself yeah. anymore. But stop hammering the sunbeds. Yeah, and also yeah. If you're still doing it, that's a different story. But yeah, you know, it's the the regretful smoker. I feel sad about. I think yeah, regret's yeah. a sad thing to carry around with you. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so I think it would be great to cover treatments of this area in another podcast. Yes. We'll talk about products, technique, um, and that sort of stuff. So before we finish, um, let's do the clinical tip of the week. So it's on the same topic. We're going to talk about why it's important to, when you're treating this area, to start with the vermilion border. So um, we, we shouldn't really just be looking at the upper lip lines and directly injecting them, but think of the vermilion border because it's uh, basically like a scaffold for the area and it's parallel with the force which causes the line so if you think about orbicularis oris it's a circular muscle around the mouth um, and it's if we're treating the vermilion border we're going parallel to that so it's like a a scaffold as it were um, rather than going directly into the lines so that is always a good place to start and I think clinically you get a, you know a real good result straight away instantly you see an improvement to the area both in terms of the version of the lip um, you know restoration of the area but then immediately the lines soften um, so I think that's that's a great place to start yeah and I think it's worth having a good explanation for why you should do that because often the people with these lines are actually quite terrified of having their lips augmented absolutely so you've got to give a good explanation about why you're now suggesting injecting the pink part of their lip when all they're bothered with is the white part of their lip uh, yes. where the lines are uh, and that's an endless i mean i must have said that uh, a thousand times yeah. it's always the same um you've got to win their trust over that issue because it's terrifying for a 55 year old who's who's just been flicking through instagram and thinks if i have my lips injected i'm going to look like that yeah Um, so a good explanation is really important so that they actually understand you're not actually augmenting you're restoring yeah Um, and then let's finish off with the consultation hack of the week so we were going to talk about the difference between augmentation and restoration yes so i kind of the reason i paused there is i've kind of done it but um (laughs) but that is essentially it you need to know that your patient is um completely aware of the difference between augmentation and restoration mm-hmm. um, and it's probably a word that we use that they actually don't don't often use so mm-hmm. what I would what I would say is that the plan that I have for your for, for the treatment I'm suggesting would bitterly disappoint someone who wanted an augmented lip and they come back and ask for a yeah. refund um, and usually that's quite a good way of, of saying of, of reassuring someone um, the other element is that you will look more done if you only treat the wide part of your lip, but just in an odd way, mm-hmm. than if you if you holistically restore the lip and you and you give a little bit of detail, structure, shape, um, and then soften the lines, than if you just soften the lines. And I, if actually the word I use, the way I describe it, is that you look a bit like Homer Simpson if you yeah. just treat the lines because you create a, a, a convexity in, instead of a, this, this, either a straight philtrum or a slight concavity is ideal. Yeah. And that usually reassures people enough. The other thing is, is the selection of filler that you use. You can use a filler that's only designed for 
treating fine lines that usually reassures them as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll talk about that in one of our podcasts soon. Okay. Right. Thanks very much, Dr. Tim. Thank you, Adam. And we'll see you next week.